Before we begin this episode, we would like listeners to be aware that we discuss issues including gender-based violence, drug and alcohol addiction, and mental health. Thank you. Welcome to the Meaning of Home podcast, where we discuss the complexities and connections between home and homelessness. I'm your host, Sarah Christou, and as always, with me is the podcast's producer, Dave Angel. We are doctoral researchers at Loughborough University, part of the Harnessing Opportunities for Meaningful Environments Centre for Doctoral Training, for short, the Home CDT. We are a cohort of seven PhD projects approaching concepts of home and homelessness through a creative lens to develop impactful new research. Every month, we'll bring a new episode with a range of guests to provide commentary and conversation on different themes. In this episode, our theme is visibility. We'll be discussing the hidden nature of homelessness and in particular, the experiences of women. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Lucy Campbell, Head of Multiple Disadvantaged Service Transformation at Single Homeless Project, and Kate John, Women's Recovery Coordinator at St Mungo's. Lucy has worked in the homelessness sector for 15 years in both frontline and managerial roles. For the last eight years, she worked on the Fulfilling Lives in Islington and Camden, Flick project, to change the way services are designed, delivered and commissioned to better meet the needs of people experiencing multiple disadvantage, which recently won a Homeless Link Excellence Award. During this project, Lucy led on a number of successful initiatives, including collaborating with Solis to pilot a specialist housing first for women experiencing domestic abuse and collaborating on research with the University of York, exploring women's hidden homelessness. She is now working to take forward Flick's learning, both within Single Homeless Project and externally. Kate has worked within the homelessness sector for 13 years, for the last six years, she has specialised in supporting women experiencing homelessness, multiple disadvantage and trauma. Kate is currently leading on Safe Space at St Mungo's, which is a gender informed and trauma responsive approach to working with women and non-binary people experiencing multiple disadvantage living in hostels across Camden in London. She also leads on the Safe Space psychotherapy service, a flexible, humanistic talking therapy for women and non-binary people experiencing homelessness. Welcome Lucy and Kate to the Meaning of Home podcast. So on this episode we're discussing the theme of visibility because assumptions are made about who experiences homelessness and this can be a result of some homelessness being more hidden and hence less visible which may impact the support that people experiencing homelessness receive. Lucy, can you tell us more about what assumptions are made around who experiences homelessness? In this country and in England and Wales, I think there's uh, always been a really strong focus on homelessness being primarily defined as rough sleeping. That's the kind of homelessness that people kind of what springs to mind the image of um, people in sleeping bags on street corners when we talk about homelessness generally. And within that, 
What we know from statistics um, about how rough sleeping is broken down, it's always been a figure of around 14 or 15 percent of rough sleepers are women and the corresponding 85 percent are men. And those are in the government statistics that we see every year coming through the street counts that are done. And that's problematic for uh, a number of reasons, because what we also know and what's kind of come to light uh, more recently, I'd say, has been kind of increasing awareness of this over the last five years or so, is that actually women are also experiencing homelessness um, in you know much greater numbers than that 15% of rough sleepers that that we continue to hear about in the homelessness sector. However, thus far, there hasn't been a way to accurately quantify women's homelessness, women's hidden rough sleeping, and therefore those assumptions still really prevail. So reported figures on women experiencing homelessness are likely to be underestimated, but there's also a complexity in terms of how they're recorded and reported because women's homelessness is hidden. I wondered if you could talk a bit more about why the those rates of women experiencing homelessness are underestimated. Yes, absolutely. So this is something that my project Fulfilling Lives Islington and Camden were, were really keen to explore because so we were working in those two boroughs with both men and women experiencing homelessness and other forms of multiple disadvantage for the last eight years. And actually what we were seeing with our cohort of people that we were supporting was it was more like a kind of a 50-50 split. And when we looked further into that, we realised it was because we were accepting referrals from any service across kind of any system that supported or came into contact with people experiencing multiple disadvantage. So criminal justice, substance misuse, domestic abuse, any agency could refer in. And because of that, the numbers were far more equally matched and far more reflective of you know, the actual situation of of homelessness and multiple disadvantage. What we did to kind of look into that in more detail was to commission a piece of research which was undertaken by some um, sector research experts, so Dr Joanne Bretherton and Professor Nicholas Pleece, um, and we worked with them to carry out a, a large-scale piece of research, uh, mixed-method research, in the borough of Camden. We didn't have the capacity to to do the whole of London so we concentrated on that one borough and we we approached the research in different ways we conducted gender-informed outreach shifts and spoke to over 130 women um, we looked at redacted case files of women who'd experienced homelessness in Camden over um, a number of years and we also did some semi-structured interviews with with women experiencing homelessness as well and and the report was really interesting because it kind of broke down the ways in which women's homelessness kind of has been underreported and, and why this is. So there were kind of three main errors that the researchers identified um, in the report. So firstly, it was around spatial error. So the idea that homelessness in this country is, is defined in really narrow terms. So as I mentioned, kind of looking uh, at people who are sleeping rough, maybe people who are using first stage emergency shelters. And what we know about women is because those ways of being homeless, rough sleeping, emergency shelters are very male-dominated, very risky environments for women to be in, they're far less likely to, to, to be in them. So that's an error in itself, kind of having such a narrow definition. Secondly, the report talked about um, administrative error. So 
that's around only counting women's homelessness under under kind of certain circumstances and kind of neglecting to count it elsewhere. So I found it really staggering that, for example, um, women who are in domestic abuse refuges and have, have, have left their homes or been homeless and, and entered a refuge are not uh, recorded as homeless, even though, you know, they're in a, a temporary shelter, uh, they don't have a short shorthold tenancy, there's, there's kind of no safety to their tenure at all. And there was also kind of, it was also mentioned that, um, for example, statutorily homeless households are always recorded as family homelessness. Um, and actually what that does is to really de-emphasise the nature of um, family homelessness, which is, is which is very gendered and predominantly um, women are, are the leaders of those households. Um, but that's just kind of not broken down or counted. That's really interesting points that you made there, Lucy, particularly from the report and research that came from York. And I'd like to bring Kate in here on this point. As it's commonly assumed that more men are homeless, and this uh, means there's also a prominence in social discourse of rough sleeping and the visibility of that experience of homelessness. How then does that impact service responses in terms of the assumptions that are made to women's homelessness? Yeah, I mean, I think that focus that Lucy was talking about on rough sleeping is is a really key part of the problem for women in that services are kind of commissioned to meet the needs of those rough sleeping first and foremost with with the in in their need to sort of solve homelessness in in quote marks and so they need to be responding to to the numbers that are shown but that it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that that we're not looking for women in the right places so we're not finding them and as a result services seem to be and historically have seemed to be meeting the needs of those people that need homelessness services um, because men are primarily the people they're finding when they're going out and looking. And as a result, the, the hostel system, which is where I have worked, is always focused around primarily men's needs. So mostly large mixed gendered, um, but feel very male dominated spaces that focus on a, a, a single approach that works for everyone. And, and St Mungo's that I work for and, and much of the sector has always talked about being client centred and, and, and recovery being an individual journey. But that has always been a, an approach that that is to fit all, nothing gendered within that, nothing about specifically understanding the experience of women's homelessness and how that might be different and how the risks and challenges to engagement might be different and how people will respond and experience services and offer offers of help. I remember when I first came into the sector that I was told that women just stay in, in domestic situations longer and just don't become homeless as often. And that was kind of the narrative when I first started working uh, in this sector. And actually over time, and I think, as Lucy said, particularly the last five years, we've seen a real change in culture and a real change in understanding around that, that it's not that those women aren't there, it's just that it looks very differently um, and, and that we need to find these women in different places. And there's been a real um, culture change in terms of an understanding that we need to find different routes to, to working with these women and engaging these women in different practice, as well as a, a kind of a whole systemic culture change around the conversations we have around women's homelessness. And that definitely is happening more and more, which is really exciting. And is part of that, culture change, Kate, to better understand the different types of homelessness. Both you and Lucy have mentioned one of the initial problems is this definition 
um, and focus on rough sleeping. But of course, to be able to respond to the different experiences of homelessness and in particular to women's needs, we also need to better understand that there are multiple forms of homelessness as well. What are your thoughts on that? The women that we work with, there's such variety, such complexity in their experience and and the contacts they have had, multiple contacts with services throughout their lives. Um, And the trauma and abuse that ties into that um, is is really kind of um, complex and hard to unpick. And so they are often they don't always fall into clean and easy boxes of support. Um, and I think that that can be challenging, particularly when there's intersectional nature of, of within their support, where we see services that around vogue or domestic abuse intersecting with services for homelessness. The women that we're working with don't particularly fall easily into either camp and the systems that are in place that have historically worked for either housed women with low support needs or for men experiencing homelessness don't really meet the needs of this group of women that kind of intersect both both parts parts of that and so we are really having to sort of catch up and rethink our approaches around Vogue and our approaches around homelessness to make sure that we're kind of meeting this group of women in the middle. And Lucy yes would you like to add to that? Yeah absolutely I I agree um, completely with what Kate said and I think I think another issue with these kind of different forms of homelessness that women experience is that Something else that the the University of York report found was that looking at the redacted case files of women kind of going back five, ten, I think the, the longest was 12 years, is that the group of women that we're talking about, so predominantly women experiencing multiple disadvantages, um, would often be kind of moving between different states and forms of homelessness. So sometimes it would be ruthlessness, sometimes it would be kind of going in and out of insecure housing, but um, kind of never finding pathways or trajectories which took them away from these kind of um, fluctuating situations um, and which were always risky and which always were some form of homelessness. But I think the problematic nature of that is that it meant that they were spending less time um, doing what uh, the, doing the kind of homelessness, doing the kind of rough sleeping um, that makes headlines in this country and that's provided for in this country. There are because they were fluctuating between so many different forms of homelessness over over years. Um, and I think I think there's you know generally a, a recognition now that um, women are more likely to be hidden homeless, and there is a large unseen cohort of women coming into support. Um, until they're really, really kind of in a, in, a, in a crisis situation where sometimes they then do end up um, visible on the streets. But there isn't currently any, you know, any mandate to explore or quantify sofa surfing or hidden homelessness. There's 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 kind of nothing which um, makes that more visible and responds to that cohort. Um, because, again, that the headlines are always going to be, um, you know, for the near future around reducing rough sleeping. Um, whether or not um, we can kind of try to demonstrate the need to explore those more hidden cohorts is, I think, you know, a a real question for the sector at the moment and for government. Women's homelessness may be hidden both in the sense that women can conceal their homelessness, often avoiding formal services until their resources and options have been exhausted, as well as being hidden by the system's lack of acknowledgement of their homelessness or 
understanding that they're caught in a cycle of different forms of homelessness as well. You mentioned there, Lucy, um, sofa surfing, uh, which is something we, uh, Kate, Lucy and I, we've spoken about previously in terms of the image that the term sofa surfing conjures is not actually helpful to the reality of that experience. Kate, could you maybe talk a bit more about what we mean by hidden when we talk about women's experiences of homelessness? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of actual rough sleeping and, and, and being without a roof, I suppose, as Lucy, the terminology Lucy used, um, our women would not use traditional sleep sites. They wouldn't be in um, doorways and things. Um, they would actively avoid those places uh, because they, to be recognised as visually uh, as a, uh, as a rough sleeping woman is incredibly dangerous and risky. Um, so many of our women will use a kind of fast food outlets and, and night buses and, and other kind of public spaces to, to move between um, spaces during the day and, and to be as un, kind of noticeable at night as well. So lots of sleeping on, on night buses and things like that. But there are also a huge swathe of women who are having to make safety-based decisions um, to stay in places like other people's accommodation um, and which is often referred to as sofa surfing which conjures up an idea of someone staying with a mate or doing a sort of studenty trip around uh, hopping around friends places and that is very much not the experience of the women we're working with. I think it's important to also think about kind of the relationships these women have to hold and um, lots of our women speak about making safety-based and survival-based decisions uh, such as having a single perpetrator is preferable to having multiple perpetrators. So to stay at someone's house and to be sexually exploited or to be vulnerable to violence or abuse from that person is still a safety based decision because the alternative would be to rough sleep and, and not be able to predict who your perpetrator would be or, or potentially have multiple perpetrators. So these sort of sofa surfing and unstably housed situations are women uh, find themselves in are, are, are choices they have to make within very limited options that are about survival and safety but safety through a completely different perspective than our own as workers and, and we might see them to be making or people may see them to be making bad choices or unsafe choices but the risks are so high as a woman experiencing homelessness that that, that the danger of violence and abuse is, is constant um, and so yeah many of our women are in these very, very risky circumstances, hopping between different circumstances from night to night um, and, and periods of time in, in where they completely disappear from contact with services um, and, and are unfindable and then pop up again. And you have a small moment of opportunity to, to re-engage that person or to build a trusting relationship to, to draw them in. But yeah, finding them um, amongst these sort of hidden risky situations is, is really challenging. So for women, being less visible is for their own survival, but also being less visible is what can make it challenging to provide them with the help and support that they need or being able to identify women who are going through different experiences of homelessness as well. And Lucy, um, in terms of having different experiences of homelessness, is that gendered? Is it different? And are there particular issues that women encounter? 
Absolutely. And I think this is something, again, that the sector um, has, has become better at understanding. When we did the, the research with York, for example, surveying you know, a really large proportion of, of women in Camden who are experiencing homelessness, um, one of the findings from that, for example, was that um, I think the researchers put it as violence and abuse is a near universal experience for women who experience homelessness. It's both a, a cause of it and also a consequence once a woman finds herself homeless. And <clears throat> while that's absolutely not to suggest that men who experience homelessness don't also experience forms of violence, um, again, the violence is different. It's uh, of a gendered nature. It's all across the spectrum of violence against women and girls. So we're not just talking about domestic abuse, but often it's domestic abuse as well as sexual violence from other associates and perpetrators. Um, it can be harassment on the streets, a whole range of gender specific violence, which women are almost always going to experience if they find themselves um, either street homeless or in the kind of homelessness which Kate described, you know, having to use transactional sex to keep a roof over their heads, being exploited. I'd say almost, you know, homelessness and um, gender based violence are kind of, yeah, concurrent things um, and and one isn't often experienced without the other and that's certainly um, the experiences of the the women that we supported in the Fulfilling Lives project. So I, I think that's that's the one that really kind of stands out. Um, I think I think the other kind of really gendered um, issue around women's homelessness is kind of again going back to what Kate was saying is that women experiencing homelessness or those that end up rough sleeping and are brought into services are then expected to not just survive but recover in services and systems which have predominantly been designed for males um you know and because of that um you know there is kind of a narrative around um you know women being more complex and women rough sleepers being more complex with men when actually what we're looking at is kind of re-traumatising traumatised women by bringing into services that aren't gender informed, that aren't aware of the differences between a woman's experiences of homelessness and how or what may make her feel safe and unsafe. Um, and, and therefore the problem is almost perpetuated by not being informed around the difference, I'd say. Um, and I'm sure Kate can, can, can add on to that. We need to find ways of um, placing relationships at the centre of our work. So through Safe Space, we we really um, advocate for, for services to move away from hard outcomes and even particular actions around women's homelessness, but to focus primarily on relationships and building relationships with women. Um, because until we have that trusting relationship, until they can see themselves worthy of our, of our support and, and to be able to trust in us as an agency, there's really very little space to do very much else. We really advocate for understanding trauma and, and the impact on trauma. And that's not to say you need to understand someone's personal history, but to understand how trauma will impact someone's engagement with you as a service and, and their trust in you and, and also their behaviour as well. What, what we're seeing is not bad behaviour or poor behaviour or low engagement. We're seeing trauma responses and we need to respond accordingly as a service. 
It's about really effective joint working and making sure that we're collaborating. Women's homelessness is so intersectional. There's so many support needs that, that cross over, particularly thinking about violence and abuse in Borg and homeless and, and domestic abuse. So we need to be working really collaboratively across services. And it's about offering choice and control to those to those women and, and making sure that they feel that they are in control of their recovery and, and they are in control of their relationship with services. And all of these things can be done through culture change, through training and learning, but also changing processes as well. So that, you know, we're not doing big, long, lengthy assessments when people come into contact with services that we're focusing on relationship building primarily. Um, and these are things that benefit women primarily and in the first instance but if we kind of adopt these culture changes also impact men's homelessness and, and and have a kind of a positive impact on those services and I think um that alongside the sort of the bigger bits of research that Lucy's organization have done to really understand that the the numbers are different that the the data is different and that women's homelessness is a, a very different picture to what we have historically believed really help create some systems change and working feeding that back to commissioners and people that are designing services and that's that's where real change is going to happen and so part of that changing culture has been centering the women putting them at the center and their needs as well and uh, and lucy i can see you want to come in on, on, a, on a point there what was there something you wanted to add yeah um i absolutely agree with everything kate said there and i think just to add i think the way in which we're going to be able to do those things in services and, and kind of continue evolving and, and looking at the environments that we have and, and making them better, making them more gender informed and making women's experiences of them better is is is, is really kind of only going to be brought about by better data collection, because if there's no mandate to do this kind of learning and development and, and service transformation um, from you know local authorities and central government it's it's very unlikely it will happen apart from kind of small pockets of good practice and you know people doing the best they can so i think a really crucial um thing that as a sector um you know and and across london and nationally we really really need to put um our energies into finding ways to make that data more accurate because without doing so we will not get that mandate um, and we'll not get ring fence funding um, and, and in order to kind of bring these services um, forward so that they better meet women's needs and that's something which um, we're, we're hoping is going to improve. There's going to be a Pan-London um, women's census um, taking place this September um, across a number of local authorities um, and that's been supported by London councils and the GLA um, and it's really exciting because nothing of that scale or nothing to kind of really explore these issues um, has, has ever really, be, really ever really kind of happened. Um, obviously, we were able to look at the Borough of Camden when we did our report with the University of York, but it feels like there is um, an increasing recognition that something needs to be done, that data isn't accurate. And hopefully from that, we will get that mandate from government to say, you know, we will not end a homelessness and then unless we end women's homelessness and hopefully that work can kind of start to evidence um yeah the, the real need that's out there kate you mentioned earlier about intersectionality so of course um women who experience homelessness are not a homogenous group 
um, how can services understand specific needs then by adopting an intersectional approach? I think it, it comes down to being client-centred but being truly client-centred and, and understanding that individual's experience and responding to the support that they are asking for and that they want. Um, organisations like Fulfilling Lives, Lucy has worked on this incredible uh, tool called Team Around Me that places the client at the centre of their case conferencing that gives that client absolute autonomy and control over that space makes it very solution focused but if we're working in that truly client-centered way then it's not about saying this is how we work with women this is how we work with people and this is the person at the center of this piece of work this piece of recovery and responding to to the needs of that person and then it's is building a network around that person so the intersectional nature will be different for every woman the the, the complexities the challenges her experience her world view um, we build that package support around it's not saying every woman needs a, you know a domestic abuse worker every woman needs a drugs worker every woman needs um a probation officer it's about the 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 intricacies of that individual and, and how we can respond to her, that individual in that moment and, and, and respond to, to what they want and how they uh, see their recovery. I think also something else came to mind when you were speaking as well. The women spoke to us when, when we've done our research, we've done more qualitative research rather than looking at the quantitative uh, data that Lucy has looked at. We've, we've spoken directly to women in our borough about their experience of homelessness. And women were really clear about self-advocacy and how challenging that was when experiencing multiple disadvantage and homelessness and they felt that men could easily ask for help and they saw their male counterparts presenting to services and asking for help but also becoming challenging or difficult or even aggressive and that being an assumed part of maleness and an acceptable behavior for someone having a difficult time but that when women presented at services and tried to advocate for themselves they were seen as challenging and problematic or needy difficult to work with and if they they kind of raised their voice at all or became in any way confrontational then they were barred from services and felt a harsher level of judgment from services um, and particularly uh, black women felt that they were even had to tread even more carefully with services and were very quickly labeled as, as problematic and aggressive and if we kind of look at the way the criminal justice system works with women getting harsher sentences if we look at the way the healthcare system treats women and particularly black women we know that they those judgments are held throughout society and so it would be absolutely fair to say that those judgments are being held by services aiming to help and support people experiencing homelessness as well and so that intersectional nature and, and that women's specific experience of services and asking for help is, is a real challenge and we need to make sure that we are aware of, of the bias that we hold and the judgments we hold as services because it will impact the work that we're doing and, and the support that people feel able to accept. So a refinement in responses to women's homelessness means gender and trauma-informed wraparound services are required uh, in parallel, of course, to safe housing provision as well. Lucy, um, what needs to change to be able to better support women experiencing homelessness and multiple disadvantage? And how do we integrate that idea of gender-informed uh, support into services going back um to the beginning really looking at all of the processes involved in getting someone who is homeless from that situation 
into a situation where they are housed stably um, and you know living the most fulfilling life that they can and and that's a long journey you know that goes down to our outreach practices you know is the way that we're conducting outreach um gender informed it's not at the moment that's why we're missing a large proportion of women so you know looking at how each kind of step in the homelessness pathway or journey um can be kind of redesigned and reconfigured with consultation um with women who've experienced homelessness to tell us what that does need to look like and i also think a, a really key thing um that, that that needs to change is the kind of length of funding streams which is problematic for, for all homelessness initiatives you know men's and women's but for example we know that the housing first model especially when there's a um, domestic abuse and vogue specialism tied into that model works incredibly well for women but what we need is not kind of two or three year um, pots of funding because for a woman who's in her 40s and ex has experienced 40 years of trauma it is going to take a great deal longer um, than two or three years in, in a safe um, flat with with intensive support to get to the point where she might feel able to live truly independently without that support service. So we need to be understanding that the that the traumatic experiences which women have been through for for sometimes you know their entire lives needs to be approached with an understanding that it will take long term interventions which are truly trauma informed which don't kind of threaten to be decommissioned at the end of every year in order that they can you know fully recover or live a fulfilling life or whatever kind of way you want to describe um, being in a better situation so I think those kind of things would go a long way to um, to helping the response. We're talking about then visibility but visibility then goes both ways so we've talked about the hidden nature of women's homelessness but there's visibility that can also be with service providers, policymakers, local authorities, and social discourse itself to acknowledge and recognise women's homelessness, especially as we've seen an increase in the number of women experiencing homelessness uh, recently. Um, and in terms of that, in terms of that increase, Kate, well, it, has there been an increase, or has there been a a greater recognition of women or an improvement of responding to women? Do you have a view of which side that goes? I think probably a bit of both. Um, I think there is definitely um, a rise in women's homelessness in terms of the traditional view of homelessness, so rough sleeping. So we are seeing more women being picked up rough sleeping um, than ever before uh, and more women coming through that more traditional route. So in terms of the hostel system, there are definitely more women coming in. Um, I think there is starting to be changes. And because of research like Lucy's, because of conversations that, that we've both been part of, uh, that are seeing a change in how we are viewing homelessness. But I don't know that that's definitely kind of filtering down through to sort of how we're verifying and viewing rough sleeping yet um, or, or homelessness yet. Um, but certainly there are more women out there and, and there are so many more. When we saw kind of the responses during COVID to everybody in and coming into the hotels, we were seeing women who were being found that have reported being homeless for three, four, five years in the borough. Um, and no one had ever heard of them before. The outreach teams, 
the domestic abuse teams, the police. No one had ever heard of these women before, but they clearly had been experiencing homelessness in the borough for a number of years. So those women are out there. Um, and yeah, the, the number of women rough sleeping today are def- certainly more than there the were five years ago. But I think there are many more that are still hidden that are in these unstable situations that we just can't reach and that our processes, as Lucy was describing, just aren't able to kind of verify or find them yet. We end every episode of the podcast with a regular segment where I ask each guest the same question. What does home mean to you? Kate, what does home mean to you? Well, I find objects very comforting and it doesn't mean things of any great value but things of sentimental value or things that feel they have the presence of the people that I love in them so the things that I surround myself with help make me feel at home but I think when I really think about it uh, it's the people that are around me and the relationships I hold with them that make me feel safest and so it's down to what safe feels like is what home feels like for me. Thank you. And finally, Lucy, what does home mean to you? I think home means to me safety and security and a place where I can feel completely myself. And I think for me, that's something I've actually only really had maybe in in the last few years of a home. So I grew up in a home where there was domestic abuse um, and in my 20s, I had lots of kind of transitional homes and you know some sofa surfing and living in rental accommodation which didn't feel particularly great some of the time and I think now being older and having um kind of a stable home with a partner and we've we've got a a young son and it feels like a, a brilliant experience to be able to make my own home and yeah that feels like safety. Thank you for that. That brings us to the end of this episode. We would like to thank our guests, Lucy Campbell and Kate John, for joining us and sharing their thoughts. For more information about our work, please visit meaningofhome.uk, follow us on Twitter at meaningofhomelu, and remember to follow and share our podcast. And of course, thank you all for listening to The Meaning of Home. This podcast was created by The Home CDT. It was hosted by Sarah Christou, produced and edited by Dave Angel, and the music is by The Angel Brothers. All ideas expressed in this podcast are those of the individual. The Meaning of Home is brought to you by doctoral researchers at Loughborough University.